Good evening. Welcome to Football Meekly with Michael Toombs. Thanks for joining me. Tonight we have three main topics of discussion. Firstly, the transfer window just passed. Who are the main movers and shakers? Um, who, if anyone, ended up with egg on their face? Secondly, we'll have a look at how the Premier League is shaping up after four games. Who stood up? Who stood down? Um, who are the main protagonists are shaping up to be and lastly we'll have a look at the up and coming international week of football not a topic that necessarily gets people's pulses racing but one which does throw up some intriguing encounters so without further ado let's go into transfer deadline day and this summer saw a record 870 million pounds spent by premier league teams the most prevalent team or the team that probably garnered the most press attention were Manchester United and Louis van Gaal continued his seemingly relentless descent into the absurd abyss Manchester United have started the season so-so ultimately what they need is another centre-back and probably another centre-forward so what does Mr. Van Gaal do? He gets rid of Johnny Evans and Tyler Blackett. Admittedly, fairly limited centre-backs, but perhaps not players in a position that you would leave yourself light in. Um, so, in addition to selling two of his squad centre-backs, he also got rid of uh, Hernandez, one of the few strikers he had at the club, uh, and also Yanisai who he had just welcomed back into the fold and who offered a viable alternative at number 10 for Manchester United. So a real lack of coherence, in my view, in his transfer dealings. He then goes and spends £36 million on an untested left winger. And to top it off, in my view, he treats De Gea with absolute disregard some have pointed the finger at Real Madrid, saying they didn't register the papers in time, but there's no reason why this deal couldn't have been sewn up at the beginning of the transfer window. And De Gea has shown the respect that he has surely earned over the last two years at Manchester United. They have a problem of trying to motivate him again, and I don't for one second suggest that De Gea has an attitude problem, that he will struggle to, to get himself in the right frame of mind again. But he has a big tournament coming up next summer and to put that sort of pressure and stress on the shoulders of a young man who has done nothing but play for the jersey in my eyes, of, in my eyes is symptomatic of the way Van Hal treats players and the complete disregard he has for um, players' feelings and emotions within the club. God only knows what's going on um, at Old Trafford, which is probably a quite... Suitable phrase given Van Hal's undoubted view of himself. He likes to dress up as some sort of philosophy, but I think even Plato would, would be scratching his head at this point, with along with Manchester United fans. Moving on to their neighbours, and Manchester City have probably had the most serene and successful transfer window. They got the signing of Raheem Sterling sewn up particularly early. He's now settled in and is playing well. They also brought in Otamendi from Valencia, 
someone that, that I know Manchester United were linked with and, and certainly could have done with. And he will provide quality defensive cover. Lastly, they brought in Kevin De Bruyne. Brian, 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 Brian. The, the fans that suggested that De Bruyne won't be a success at Manchester City don't have a clue what they're talking about. The guy's direct, relatively skillful, carries a big goal threat, got a lot of assists last season. Some have suggested that he exhibited a bad attitude when at Chelsea. I think wanting to start every week is anything but a bad attitude. I think the fact that he was willing to leave Chelsea for first team football shows that he's hungry and ambitious. I think he'll complement City's existing midfielders very well. He'll be an upgrade on uh, Navas, uh, and I could see him forging a very, very tasty relationship with Bakary Sagna on the right hand side. There have been some Arsenal fans who have been rather livid and kicking off at Mr. Wenger for failing to spend any money. There was quite an interesting stat that Wenger, uh, or Arsenal rather, are the only club in the top four or five divisions in Europe who have failed to buy an outfield player this season. I don't think it's a particularly a bad thing that Wenger's not rushed out and panic-bought like some of his rivals. He's always been very much of the view that unless he could buy someone that would improve the squad, what's the point in going out and spending money? And I would challenge anyone to point me in the direction of players that they could have signed either in defence midfield or up front. The transfer window generally is full of a lot of hyperbole, a lot of nonsense, and a lot of rumours that newspapers make up just to, just to get people reading them. And no point was Karim Benzema going to be sold by Real Madrid Never mind to Arsenal. And although Arsenal could undoubtedly do with strengthening in the two aforementioned positions, I don't think there was anyone, especially towards the end of the window, who could have stepped in and done a job in defence midfield or up front. One of their former midfielders, Alex Song, I think could prove an inspired signing for West Ham. Elsewhere in London, Spurs failed to add the goal scorer they so desperately need to provide support to Harry Kane. Hung Min Song, uh, forgive me for any mispronunciation, is a technically gifted player who will add some layer of threat, but he will not provide the goals that they so desperately crave at White Hart Lane. Uh, and one of the more comical moments of the transfer window to finish up was Sado Berahino's fairly pathetic and immature tweet that he would not play for the club again I, I fail to understand his attitude here he's at a decent enough club he's still very young just give them a good season uh, and he'll get his transfer in the summer uh, yeah he's stamped his feet and we'll see what, what the, the repercussions of this are having read a few reports it seems like Tony Pulis is ready to put the arm around him uh, and try and welcome him back in the fold so that brings us to the end of part one. Um, I'll give you a bit of music. I'll be back in about 15 seconds. We can move on to looking at the Premier League thus far. Okay, that's enough of that. And now, Premier League after four games. Manchester City riding high. 
12 points, no goals conceded. I imagine their fans will probably be singing something like this. <laughs> Sorry. Still we NWA reference there for you hip-hop heads. So Manchester say, yeah, looking very, very good thus far. Players who were struggling last season, your Vincent Companies, your Yaya Torres, are back on form. Interestingly, Pellegrini was in the press last week talking about the ability he now has to make tactical changes mid-game. The game against Watford, they were struggling nil nil at half-time. He was able to take Navas off, put Nasri on, put Silva out to the right where he got a little bit more space, and he moved Sterling into the centre, and his movement positioning led to City's first goal, uh, and provided City with a more dynamic threat going forward. So Manchester City certainly are the the team to watch. They've already got what looks like an unassailable lead over Chelsea. Obviously, it's very early on in the season. But with the quality at their disposal, and with the fact that Aguero has not even hit top form yet, I think their title rivals must be particularly worried at this point. As we look at the rest of the top four, it's fairly startling. Crystal Palace in second, wonderful start to the season, playing expansive attacking football with the uh, likes of Balassi, Sacco, Zaha, Kabai pulling the strings in midfield. Leicester in third, put my hands up. I, like a lot of other uh, football pundits and in inverted commas, suggested they would struggle, and they've been absolutely outstanding so far. Mares in midfield. On absolute fire, he's made it into to many a dream team. Um, he's in the the dream team team of the season thus far, which I'll I'll go through at the end of of part two. So Leicester have been very impressive, uh, as have Swansea. Uh, Andrew Ayo being one of the the best signings of preseason so far. Uh, I, having seen him in France and and not been blown away by him, I suggested that um, a big brother. Didn't put him in his fantasy football team. So apologies, Ads. He probably should be in there because he's on, he's on absolute fire. And then further down, you have your usual suspect, your Manchester United's and your Arsenal's. Liverpool in seventh are an intriguing proposition, as are West Ham one point below them in eighth. Liverpool were much the better team against uh, an Arsenal side missing their two usual centre-backs. Uh, Liverpool should have won that game fairly comfortably. Uh, and yet, they follow that up with a, a 3 0 reverse at home to West Ham. West Ham themselves went away, win at Arsenal, first game of the season, very impressive. They then transpired to lose at home against Leicester and Bournemouth. And then after that, they go away and thrash Liverpool 3 0. So, Slavon Bilic, fan favourite at the Berlin ground, needs to try and get his home form sorted and, and what is their final season at that ground uh, it would be a shame if they couldn't give such passionate fans something to shout about in their final season in that historic stadium but that does bring me on quite nicely to what many football journalists and fans have been discussing this season and that is the prevalence of getting points away from home and the fact that lots of teams are struggling at home is it that indeed teams 
with much fewer possession, have been doing a lot better this season. And the stats certainly don't lie. I think out of 30 home games, there's been only six wins for home sides. So we'll see if this is an ongoing trend. But it may well signify an approach by managers with, with weaker teams that signifies their acceptance that they aren't going to try and outpass or outplay teams. That the best thing to do is defend properly and hit on the counter-attack. It's not exactly revolutionary, uh, and it's just surprising that it's taken this long for, for top-class managers to figure that out. Looking now towards mid-table. Everton, Southampton, Bournemouth, the 9th, 10th, 11th. Everton have an up-and-down start to the season. They kept hold of John Stones, which is good for them. Uh, I know Martinez was looking for a number 10, and, and they failed to get that, so they... They may struggle for creativity in midfield, but Lukaku has started the season well. And I think with the relative weakness of Spurs and Liverpool, Everton should certainly be trying to push that top six or seven. Southampton disappointingly went out in the, the qualifying round for the Europa League. Um, and they've had a few bizarre results. They bounced back 3-0 against Norwich last week, which ultimately was based heavily upon the, the red card for, for Whitaker, I believe it was. So it could be an interesting season for Southampton. Bournemouth have been a breath of fresh air in the, in the Premier League. They're playing some great stuff. Unlucky to lose to Liverpool. Beat West Ham away, as was mentioned earlier. Up front, they've got Callum Wilson scoring goals, scoring great goals as well. He looks a, a real handful. Uh, and then down 13th, you have Chelsea. Really struggling for form. Cesc Fabregas is not at the races. Um, we'll discuss in the international section whether he'll be starting for Spain this weekend or not. John Terry being benched for the first time in a long time. and Something's not right there at the moment. A lot of people talking about this lack of pre-season. Uh, Ivanovic struggling extremely badly. Uh, it's a real shame because he's been one of the most consistent hard-working um, and efficient right-backs in the Premier League in the last three to four years. So very, very strange seeing him in that sort of form. And then further down, you've got Watford down in 17th with three points from four games. Quite surprised that they've, they've struggled so badly to score goals given their goal-scoring record last season. Uh, perhaps the strikers they have are of a championship quality and that is it. And... Then into the bottom three, you have Stoke, Newcastle and Sunderland. Particularly surprised by Stoke. They ended last season very well. They seem to have bought very well. But perhaps Mark Hughes has, has bought too many. I mean, in the last game, they were they were undone by sendings off. Charlie Adam is an absolute moron. The guy is a vindictive, dirty idiot of a man. He's let himself down countless times in his career through his attitude. He's got all the ability, not all the ability in the world, that's going to be going a bit too far. But he's a very talented player uh, and he just lets himself down. Stupid sendings off. Um, I've, I've no doubt Newcastle will get themselves out of the bottom three sooner rather than later. And Sunderland I expect to be there or thereabouts for the wooden spoon by the end of the season. Turning now to fancy football. Uh, and I'll just read you quick there what is the, the dream team thus far. So it's a 4-5-1 in goals, Joe Hart, 
Left back Kolarov, company at centre back, and then you've got Sagna and Shaw making up the four defenders. Midfield, you have Mares, Yaya Torre, Andre Ayew, David Silva, and Nathan Redmond. And then the aforementioned Callum Wilson up front. Um, I'm doing okay, thanks for asking. In my leagues, I'm winning the work one, which is always quite gratifying, smugly walking around work. But I am struggling in the other ones. I say struggling. I'm in, I'm in the top three for most of them, but I would like to be higher. And I'd certainly like to, to try and catch Cameron Shaw before too long. So that brings us to the end of part two. A little bit of music, and then we shall go on to part three, which is looking ahead to the international fixtures. Okay, welcome back for part three. So we have international weekend coming up, and I know this is often a period of despair and discomfort for football fans as they don't get to watch their club. But I promise you this coming week, weekend, long weekend of fixtures does throw up some really mouth-watering ties and some very important ties for the home nations as well. So I'm going to pick out a couple of the, the choice ties and then go on to the home nations. One of the picks of the weekend is the Netherlands against Iceland. And Iceland can all but guarantee themselves qualification for their first ever major tournament if they avoid defeat. If they lose, they've still got a good chance to qualify, but they could get dragged into a, a real dogfight for qualification if, if that's the case. Having said that, Netherlands have been off form for a while now and I actually think in betting terms you can get some really good odds on Iceland this weekend I think it could well be a draw and in that case I think backing Iceland at plus one you can get odds of 12 to 5 on that that's very tasty on its own and that can really beef up an accumulator as well so I'd look at Iceland plus one against Netherlands that's on Thursday at quarter to eight so keep an eye out for that uh, another big, big game this weekend is Slovakia against Spain, uh, or Spain against Slovakia. And Slovakia, uh, one of only two teams along with England to have six wins from six. And they beat Spain 2-1 in October last year in Zelina. And they ended Spain's eight years and 36 qualifying games record without defeat. They they won the game at home 2-1 thanks to a, a late goal from ex-Chelsea man Miroslav Stoch, I believe is now playing in Bursaspor in Turkey. So an interesting one to look out for. An interesting one to see how Spain line up as well. Will Fabregas play given his early season struggles at Chelsea? Perhaps not. They, they do have a lot of options in midfield. However, the continued absence of Thiago for me is a strange one. I know he started for Bayern at the weekend when they were so impressive in their dismantling of Leverkusen. So it may just be that um, Vicente Del Bosque is giving him some time to recover from injury and build up some, some sharpness with his club. But Thiago, as you'll no doubt be aware, is a fantastic player who can add a real dynamism and, and skill to that Spanish midfield, which which they may have been lacking recently. So that's another one to look out for. Uh, that is on Saturday night. Uh, and the third pick of games I've chosen from this upcoming set of fixtures is 
Germany at, at home against Poland on Friday night. Uh, when they last met, Poland inflicted Germany's first defeat in seven years in 33 qualifying games. And when they were beaten 2-0 in Warsaw. Poland have looked very good so far in this qualifying group. And, and this game, of course, has repercussions for Scotland. It's fully anticipated that either Poland or Germany will win the group. So whoever remains unscathed after this game should go on uh, and be triumphant and winning the group. Looking to Scotland's fixtures this weekend, Friday night sees what could be quite a tricky away tie in Georgia. Uh, I was at the, the home tie uh, at Ibrox last year uh, and Scotland were far from convincing against a particularly average Georgia team. Georgia also have a new manager now who I've read is slightly more positive in attacking than his predecessor, Tamuri Kitspire. Having said that, Georgia do lack a goal threat uh, and defensively they're also quite poor. So provided Scotland can perform in a manner befitting of the players they have available, they should just be able to scrape a win from that game. But I'm taking nothing for granted. Looking ahead to their game on Monday, it's the big one against Germany at Hamden. I have no doubt it'll be a, a raucous atmosphere. Uh, and all I think Scotland can really hope for in their wildest dreams is to get a draw. The Germany squad is chock-a-block full of world-class talent. The re-emergence of Dortmund this season as well can only prove a benefit to the German national team with Royce in good form and Gadogan in good form, uh, allied to the Bayern Munich players who are on song at the moment uh, and the likes of, of Mesut Ozil as well. I'm gonna I'm gonna predict a Germany win here. I just think they'll have a little bit too much for Scotland on on the night, but provided that Scotland can finish a campaign strongly, should still make that playoff position. Wales have go, will go into their qualifying games knowing that two wins will get them to their first major tournament in many years. They have what appears to be an easy way game to Cyprus. However, they only just beat them at home. Having said that, I think Gareth Bale in the form that he's in, if anyone saw the, the Real Madrid game against Real Batista at the weekend, he was in sparkling form, a couple of lovely goals and, and a good assist as well. I think if he if he's on song, they should just about have enough for Cyprus and then they should be able to beat a fairly poor Israeli team at home. If they can do that, then it'll be a, a great sight seeing uh, the Welsh Dragons back at a major tournament. Best of luck also to the Northern Irish. They stuttered slightly in their last home game in Belfast, drawing 0-0 with Romania. But uh, they go away to the Faroes, they should pick up full points. And then they have winnable games at home against Hungary and Greece. So they're also the great chance of qualifying. Uh, and hopefully all the home nations will, will be there in France next summer, which I'll be attending for Chiefs Stag, which I'm very much looking forward to. So anyway, thanks very much for, for stopping by. Um, this has been Football Weekly with Michael Toombs uh, and hopefully you'll stop by soon. Good night.